Welcome, everyone, to episode 13 of the Lit and Lucid podcast. We're here with special guest Kayvon Kalitbari, our mayor, our mayor candidate for 2019 in Denver, Colorado. Kayvon came to Colorado in, from Lincoln, Nebraska back in 2004. From there, he decided to start SAFER, which was a group uh, created to decriminalize the possession of small amounts of cannabis. He realized that there was a lot of issues with people, you know, going to jail and getting a lot of fines for small amounts of cannabis. So he decided to start SAFER as a way to address those issues. And then over the last decade, he's really been focusing on advocating for forward-thinking social policies, addressing drug use and homelessness here in Denver, Colorado. He also bought Sexy Pizza back in 2008, and he's celebrating 10 years in the business now with three locations here in Denver. Uh, So if you haven't checked out Sexy Pizza, my favorites over on Pearl Street, definitely check them out. And then after that, uh, he started the Denver Relief, which was the longest-standing cannabis company here in Colorado to date, which got sold over to Willie Nelson back in 2016. Since then, he has created uh, the Denver Relief Consulting Group, where he focuses on consulting for cannabis companies, uh, working on legalization and um, other types of things within the industry as well. What else? And now, um, after all of this background and experience in business and cannabis policy and advocacy, he decided that he would try to run for mayor in 2019. So he will be the Denver, uh, he'll be on the ballot for Denver next year against Mayor Hancock. You got it. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Kayvon. We really appreciate you coming on the show. That was like a whole book right there. Totally. I know. So much. You didn't even get to half my stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I'm really, really happy to be here. And I I do have to clarify one thing. Safer um, was a marijuana policy project initiative uh, that they started in Denver. And Mason Tavert um, was a gentleman who really spearheaded it. But I was the first volunteer in the modern kind of cannabis policy reform movement here in Denver, and Mason brought me on to collect signatures and hold up signs at rallies, attend press conferences with the button-up shirt on, <laughs> and uh, eventually chase uh, Mayor Hickenlooper, now Governor Hickenlooper, around in a chicken suit. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. That actually happened, right? It, it actually <laughs> did. It's, ha- it's happened a few times over the last decade. There you go. Yeah. I don't see anything wrong with that. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we could jump into the mayor, but... Um, you know, do you want to start back to where it all began? Because you have a really good story, and I just kind of want to put out there that you know, it takes a lot of work to get to where you're at now. So, you know, what have you done in a short amount of time, you know, to inspire yourself to get here? Yeah, I think, you know, let's, I guess, go back to where I was born, which is Lincoln, Nebraska. <clears throat> uh, my father is an Iranian immigrant farmer, uh, moved over here after the Iranian Revolution, married my mom, who is a lot of different ethnicities, some of mutt, officially. Um, <laughs> my dad put us in, in bankruptcy twice before I was 10 because of, his, because of his gambling addiction. I ended up uh, being primarily raised by a strong single mother uh, who got us through to when I, was, uh, when I turned 16, and I started living on my own at that age. And it was right around that time that I started consuming cannabis. And it was maybe a decade later when I finally got into the medical side of things that I realized when I was younger I was using it for uh, treatment of my depression and for my anxiety and my uh, loss of appetite and my sleeplessness. 
And, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of kids were using it to get high. I certainly was to some extent. Um, but I didn't realize the medicinal value of it uh, when I was younger. Fast forward when I moved out to Denver about 14 years ago when I turned 21, I was looking for a way to get involved with uh, something of substance out here. I moved out here from an engineering job that transferred me. I didn't have any friends. I didn't have any connection to anybody and wanted to integrate myself and was living with my brother at the time. And he had gone online and found a group called Safer, Safer Alternative for Enjoyable Recreation, who had just passed student body initiatives on CU and CSU campuses here in Colorado that were considerate of the fact that the problems we had on campuses relating to rape culture, violence, uh, all the things after football games that they dealt with back then mm -hmm. were primarily fueled by alcohol. And if you were busted with cannabis on campus, there was a chance that you were going to get expelled, that you would lose your opportunity to participate in college, that you could lose your dorm uh, living, that, that it would severely alter your life when if you got busted with alcohol, a drug that kills one in seven working-age Coloradans, uh, that it's a slap on the wrist. And uh, SAFER really aimed to change that culture, to say that why are we punishing people for using a drug that is not just safer than alcohol, but tobacco or even McDonald's for that matter, all these legal things uh, that the state regulates. And, and beyond just what it did to students, at the time in Colorado we were sending 11,000 people to jail every year for simple cannabis possession. And the impact that that has on people's lives um, going forward, you know, it's not like you serve your time or you pay your fine and that's done. You have this criminal record in yep. perpetuity that precludes you from housing opportunities, uh, workforce opportunities, child custody, financial aid, all these things that we need to really make the most out of life. Um, so I joined that fight knowing that I had consumed cannabis daily since I was 15 or 16, and it hadn't bothered me, right? If anything, it provided a benefit. And I got involved in the advocacy around it. It started with I-100, uh, which was Initiative 100, a ballot measure uh, that voters passed in 2005 that made Denver the first city uh, in the United States to decriminalize cannabis for adults. Wow. That's awesome. So that's where you got your background, and that's, is that kind of where you got your first taste for politics, or did that start kind of before? Or? Yeah, it was, definitely, it was definitely there that I started to understand the influence that I think activism could have in politics. Mm -hmm. uh, this was something that wasn't politically popular among elected officials at the time. Candidates that were running for office weren't talking about it. But when you go around Colorado and Denver and talk to people, I mean, most people, at least in my circles, uh, consume cannabis. And getting involved not just with Safer, but with Sensible Colorado, which was a medical cannabis advocacy group, which protected patients' rights. Here in Colorado, we approved medical cannabis back in 99, I think. So many years ago, um, we had said that medical patients that are approved by a doctor have this right to consume medical cannabis, to grow it at home, or to have a caregiver do it for them. And, and the laws were so misunderstood that you still had police officers busting down doors of cannabis patients and taking them to jail and killing their plants and all this, and people that didn't have a lot of money to defend themselves in court. So Sensible Colorado, led by Brian Vicente, who runs Vicente Cedarberg right now, um, was the guy that got me in, in tune with like the, the medical aspect of it and what we needed to do to protect patients' rights, even though we had a constitutional amendment with Amendment 20 here in Colorado that should have protected them. Yep. It was just misunderstood by patients. So <clears throat> it, that really got me involved in the power of a ballot initiative. Also introduced me to the diverse set of people that consume cannabis that were not at the time 
um, promoting it. They were still very much in the closet. I think as uh, we always compare the, the timeline of the LGBTQ movement and the cannabis movement and how they've kind of rode similar lines. Obviously, one is uh, a choice and the other is not. Um, but there are people that stayed in the closet about uh, this cannabis use or being LGBTQ that kept us from changing our minds as a society that this is okay. Yeah. Right. And we didn't we didn't realize that, oh, you know, people who consume cannabis are accountants and lawyers and soccer moms exactly. and politicians and up and down the line. It doesn't have any division. Uh, there's nobody uh, precluded from consumption uh, based on race or age or sexual orientation or anything um, that it's relatively equal across the board. And that really opened my eyes to, I think, why we needed to legalize so much combined with this criminal justice issue that was throwing so many people in jail, predominantly people of color, um, for really no good reason. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, I still feel like a stigma too with myself. I mean, I work at a cannabis cultivation. I'm obviously, everybody knows I'm for cannabis. You know, I post stories all the time about it and speak out, but I still, there's like still this part of me that like still does not feel comfortable sharing with the public that I consume cannabis because there's still stigma. Um, do you think that's changed pretty rapidly over the past four or five years, or do you think it's still there? It's definitely still there. I mean, I think of my role as a candidate, right? I get asked all the time, am I the cannabis candidate? Or I have friends mention me about how they're excited about my run, and somebody goes, oh, isn't that the cannabis candidate? <laughs> like, give me a break, you know? Yeah. Certainly. I, I mean, I don't take a look at somebody that has a beer and say, isn't that the alcoholic? Right. Yeah, exactly. right. Well, it's bigger than that, too. It's much bigger than just, you know, cannabis is a phrase. There's so much more that goes into that. Yeah. To There's say the livelihood. There's to say that that's all that I've done, and I'm not at all embarrassed of my role in cannabis, right? I'm, I'm proud to be a part of advocating for people not going to jail mm -hmm. for using cannabis. I'm proud that I got to help tens of thousands of patients in my time owning Denver Relief and still having operations in Nevada, Illinois, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Puerto Rico. Like, we're helping people. I'm proud of the fact that we've been able to push reform here for adult use cannabis and give them the same rights, hopefully, that alcohol consumers have and to push social use initiatives uh, here and to have Denver be the first place that regulated and opened these places that allow for folks to experience cannabis like they experience alcohol. You know, I'm proud of all that, but at the same time, I'm also someone that's advocated in a big way for homelessness and housing policy reform the last couple of years and criminal justice reform and the fact that Cannabis is an, an entry point into this conversation about how we very um, poorly manage our society by criminalizing public health concerns, whether it be drug use or sex work or homelessness or mental health issues. Those are the people that are filling our jails and our prisons. And then they have all these barriers to finding success in life when they get out. Uh, that it's defeating the purpose of providing all these social services that we do. Right. Um, people simply can't get out of it. So I'm proud of the fact that I'm a, a part of all that. Um, but this is also a much larger conversation. When you consider the intersectionality of the drug war, especially and the impact it's had on people, uh, the impact it's had on our private prison system, uh, the impact it's had on politics and the money that that funds a lot of these candidates that are kind of perpetuating this drug war uh, and all these other things. It, it, it's, a, it's a big system to tear down that affects so many things that people wouldn't even consider, from housing to transportation to environment. Um, all these things are done harm by the war on drugs, and I'm very proud to be a part of that. And I'll never, I'll never shy away from that, but I want people to know that I'm about much more. 
And it also comes with having 13 businesses in eight states and four industries and employ 400 people. Like, call me a stoner all you want. Make all your, <laughs> yeah, right. make all your petty jokes. Yeah. Um, I've been consuming cannabis daily since I was 15, and I, I'd say I'm a pretty accomplished person for 34 years old. Yeah. Right. You should be the poster child for, <laughs> for you know, the new wave of consumers. But back to your sure. point about you know, the stigma surrounding it, I know a lot of poster childs that probably still to this day are a little bit afraid to come out of the closet mm -hmm. about their cannabis consumption because of how their family or law mm -hmm. or their neighbors or community might feel about them using, even though uh, they might be the best stewards of their community. Yep. They might be some of the most accomplished folks. Yeah, we're still, I still feel like we have it good here in Colorado that, what are we, four years into rec, um, so it's widely available to anybody who wants it now in Colorado. Um, and so we kind of take that for granted because I have conversations with folks who are in other states that it's still not legal yet. And it's still hard to, I mean, we've came so far in four years, it's still hard to look back at those states now and realize that, Jesus Christ, it's still illegal there. And people are still getting arrested for the same petty, you know, cannabis charges right. and going to prison and having these things that are probably going to affect a great portion of their life when it's, you know, we in Colorado openly consume it and talk about it and there's no repercussions for us. It's one of the, <clears throat> the things that I've been really kind of disenfranchised by the progress of the industry here in Colorado. I grew up with a lot of advocates and activists in this industry that fought very hard on the front lines to make cannabis legal. And then when they got these businesses, it became about a business, it became about the bottom line. We seem to forget all the things that are still broken. And social use is one of those things here in Denver, in Colorado, where we have 70 million tourists coming to Denver every year that don't have a place to consume. We have folks that have HOA or landlord restrictions. We have folks that live in subsidized housing, especially veterans, that don't have the opportunity to consume in their homes. And we have people that simply don't want to consume around their kids or their grandparents or other people in their household. And we have a, a, a mayor uh, who has, at every turn, uh, tried to diminish the respect uh, that the industry deserves, uh, tried to tear down the industry through the fire and health departments, through excise and licenses. Uh, Ashley Kilroy is the, the devil uh, on cannabis when it comes to me. She heads excise and licenses. Um, these people are actively trying to tear something down that's been very good for Denver and Colorado. Just last week, we had Mayor Hickenlo or Governor Hickenlooper veto a bill that would have created tasting rooms. Right? We yeah. continue to take away the rights of people in Colorado to consume cannabis as they would alcohol. That's one thing that I don't feel that we get the pressure from industry to support reform on. Um, but you could also look at K through 12. Um, the expulsions and suspensions that we've seen in schools since legalization have increased dramatically, even though teen use has gone down. Hmm. You know, and it's predominantly affected kids of color. It's because they are taking dogs in. Uh, they're they're going out and seeking out these drugs just because it's legal, even though teen use is down. We have housing and workforce protections, and all these other ways that um, we have lost sight of kind of the unforeseen consequences of legalization. Not because it's cannabis's fault, but because it's society's fault to continue this pseudo criminalization, this stigma. Uh, stigmatiza stigmatization of people um, for using this drug, it's continued. Yeah. And it's really unfortunate that we don't have the businesses in this industry advocating harder um, to, to remedy some of these things that are still very much broken. Uh, one of those things is the lack of minority participation in the cannabis industry. Mm -hmm. Colorado is the most free and open market uh, in the world. There's no caps on our licenses. The fees are relatively inexpensive uh, compared to some other states. 
we should have a lot of diverse participation in the industry, but we have less than 1% of licenses in the state owned by people of color. Wow. And granted, Colorado and Denver are pretty white places. They're not that white. Yeah. And we're just not seeing equal participation. And there's a lot of reasons for that, which I won't get into. But there were ways that we could have regulated this differently, uh, created license structures. We could have created loan opportunities for um, people of color that, that have trouble getting loans, period, let alone to get started in this industry, um, to expunge criminal records for nonviolent drug offenses that still preclude people from finding jobs and housing. Um, to take the tax money that we're now wasting in our general budget, we should be reinvesting that in communities that have been disenfranchised by the war on drugs, and we're doing none of that. And that's why I'm proud to be the chairman of the board for the Minority Cannabis Business Association, a group that advocates for that, a group that's getting traction on that. Um, unfortunately, we're not getting a lot of traction here in Colorado on that. Do you know why that is? Do you think people are resistant to it, or people just not know about it? Or? I think this uh, this state is filled with neoliberal corporate dem politicians that are afraid to actually live up to democratic ideals. Uh, there's a reason I'm an unaffiliated candidate and voter is because the Democratic Party is as full of shit as the Republican Party, and I'm actually more afraid of the Democratic Party because. Republicans will tell you how racist they are, <laughs> you know, they'll say it to your face. Um, Democrats will tell you that they're about the most marginalized. They will tell you that they're there to protect people and to lift them up. And they do the exact opposite when they're in office. And the people that we have in office right now, I don't care if it's our mayor, our governor, a lot of our House and state or House and Senate folks on the state level, um, they do not have actions that are consistent with the things that they said that they would do. Um, and I think that's incredibly unfortunate. And that's one of the reasons that we don't have traction on this. I don't want to throw everybody under the bus. There are great lawmakers here in Colorado that advocate for the right thing. There's Jonathan Singer, Leslie Harrod, uh, Javon Melton in our state legislature that are all wonderful people that advocate for good things. But they're also advocating for a hundred different things many of which are outside of cannabis because this world's very complicated. Yeah. And to get traction on an issue like this just isn't politically popular. Right. Yeah, I, th I think people still don't see the legitimacy in the industry yet, um, or they don't want to acknowledge it. And so that holds back reform, like you're saying, because people, I've seen it, you know, we've, for our businesses, we've set up there with the Department of Revenue, and they've laughed at us about changes we want to make because they still don't see us as legitimate taxpaying business. Yeah. Um, and that trickles through the entire, you know, executive branch and everywhere else. You know. um, so that needs to change, for sure. $250 million is what the city and state are going to collect uh, in taxes next year. You know, $250 million. The 30,000 jobs that we've created, that's just in the industry. It doesn't consider all the ancillary jobs that have been created, uh, all the tourism, tourism uh, that has been created. <laughs> that has benefited these industries that they're afraid of. And that's part of, we have to consider that in this. We, when we look at why people don't want to support cannabis, there's a lot of money in hospitality and alcohol in in industries that don't have a stake in this cannabis industry, that don't have an opportunity to participate because they're multi-state operators. This is federally illegal cannabis. And it, it, it worries their attorneys for them to get involved so they stay outside of it. And one of the most telling stats after legalization is since then we've seen, it's probably my favorite one, even more than teen use going down, it's that cannabis consumption amongst 18 to 35 year olds is up. 
but that's not my favorite part of it. It's that their alcohol consumption is down. It's that's huge. awesome. <laughs> and I think they view this as a threat to this okay. traditional industry that they have a stranglehold on. And if that's the only reason that they have to suppress cannabis progress, I mean, by all means do it, but I have to think that that's short-lived and that people are going to get hip to that here soon enough, especially if people advocate for it, which is why I would like to implore cannabis businesses more to have a voice in that fight and not just leave it up to consumers to fight for themselves on this topic. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I think that's, that's a very good point because um, it's going to take all of us to get anywhere because uh, I feel like right now we're still a very minority voice in the grand scheme of things because people are still on the fence about supporting it. Because then their neighbors or their you know coworkers or their you know business owners or investors are just not going to be behind them for it, and that's something that has to change at some point. And that's you know an interesting point because back to my cannabis candidate um, label that I get placed on me, people say, "Are you worried about that?" And I go, "Let me think back 13 years to every cannabis vote that's existed in the city and county of Denver. Every single one has passed, yep. right? Every single one has passed. When you look at." Support for adult use cannabis across the country, 64% of adults approve of adult use cannabis. Over 90%, Quinnipiac and Gallup polls both, over 90% approve of medical cannabis. I challenge you to find anything in this country that 90% of Americans agree with uh, these days. So this is, to me, a relatively safe topic. And when people bring it up as something that I should be concerned about, that I should be worried about, I feel that they are the minority at this point. That they may be the loudest, right? They may go scream at every fucking council meeting that we have and community meeting that we have. They're not representative of the people that actually live in the city and state that, again, have overwhelmingly approved cannabis every time it's come on the ballot. Is that going to translate into them supporting a candidate that has a past in cannabis? Who knows? Um, But I'm certainly not going to be ashamed of my past enough to... Uh, to lose that that part of me that's been so instrumental in who I am today and, and why I'm at where I'm at. Yeah. yeah. Love awesome. it. I do too. So what do you think about the situation that occurred last week with my 420 tours and the consumption buses? I mean, it's very indicative of how this administration treats uh, in, in respects or doesn't <laughs> respect <laughs> cannabis. We have a mayor who has been in office for seven years during the inception and the growth and the example that this industry has played for the rest of the world, and he's never stepped foot in a regulated cannabis business. <laughs> Not once. Are you serious? Not once. That's terrible. He's never stepped foot in one. And all of a sudden, last week, he comes out and says that he's quote-unquote converted on cannabis like he had a fucking Jesus <laughs> on it. You know why he's doing that? He's doing it in response to my campaign. Right. Yeah, because he's and about to get yeah, pushed he's over. Gonna, yeah. And I'm very happy to, to push that conversation on him because I'm going to win every time. But how he's treated businesses in this industry through our department pressure, fire, health, and excise and licensing, as I mentioned earlier, They've suppressed cannabis every step of the way, and it's been a concerted effort amongst the city and state governments. Oh, absolutely. Right? I-300 had these distance uh, restrictions added for certain entities that were not in what voters voted for Mm -hmm. in 2016. We had the Liquor Enforcement Division, Department of Revenue. Um, Illegally, I stand by that because Legislative Legal Review said so, and they agreed with me, 
that it was illegal for them to say that cannabis consumption is illegal on liquor licensed premises. That killed half the places that we wanted to allow social consumption. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Music yeah. venues and all yeah. these places where we could discourage people from drinking. Right. That's the whole point. That's, yeah. Yeah, it's like, so it's continue so to allow alcohol but ban cannabis. Right. Exactly. Like what kind of, uh, that alone should tell people that something's wrong. Yep. I mean, that alone. And it's continued. And we now have denials. Like Cindy uh, Sovine, who is a good friend of mine, who I was on her application at Utopia that was just mm-hmm. denied. It was the second application submitted in 18 months um, for under the I-300 social consumption designated consumption area license. She had all four registered neighborhood organizations sign a letter of support saying that they wanted her there, which you never get neighborhood organizations to agree on. She had the entity, which is a drug treatment facility that had a child care center, write a letter of support for her saying, I get that we're within a thousand feet of her, but we still don't see an issue with her being over there. And she still gets it denied. Right. You know, like they could have made an exemption. They could have chosen to do that. They could have allowed it to at least go to the public hearing to see if anybody comes out against it. And they chose not to. I think what listeners need to know, too, is just the fact that she got a chance to submit it. The amount of hoops that she had to jump through just to get to that point is huge, too. And she spent like $20,000 right. to do it. Yeah, exactly. And she did this based on preliminary conversations with the city that said yeah, that this they location said it was, gonna be was okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. You know? So to have them now say, we're going to trash tasting rooms at the state level, we're going to trash I-300 at the local level, and now we're going to start attacking these tour companies right. that are giving people uh, an opportunity, tourists especially, to, to be educated about consumption to be in an environment where they can actually have somebody experience, say, you should only use this much, yeah, and this is how you use it, right. as opposed to them go hiding in a hotel room where they might take too much right. and feel uncomfortable, still not die, let's clarify right. that, still not overdose to the point of death, because that doesn't happen like alcohol. Um, to, to take that away and to, to start uh, issuing citations for something that's been going on apparently legally for the last three years, four yeah. years, five years in Denver, because I've never... Enforce this before um, shows how this city feels about cannabis, and it's incredibly unfortunate. Um, and it, it's a good example of why this leadership needs to go. That that thing, how they treat cannabis, doesn't just exist in this industry. You can apply it to a lot of different industries in the city, where businesses are being put at a disadvantage because of an administration that just simply doesn't care for progress. It doesn't care for things that are new and exciting and innovative. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and that's not good for. For any kind of state, I feel like the Colorado as a whole is a very progressive state, and so the voters, you know, have a voice, and that's what they should get is progression, and that is not what they're giving at all. Like you said, we're getting stagnation. Yeah, exactly. we're, yeah. we're even falling back on some issues. Yeah. And we're digging some holes that are going to take a while to fill, unfortunately. Yeah, and I mean, with Colorado being a huge tourist-driven market, um, the longer they wait around on these issues, the tourists are going to go to other states like Nevada, California, totally. to consume. Because what's the point of going to Colorado with such restrictive rules? Mm-hmm. There's not. Um, that was one of our, our thoughts in wanting to pass I-300, was seeing the writing on the wall saying, wow, California, the sixth largest economy in the world, is going online with cannabis. They already own wine. Yeah. And it's not like Colorado's wines competing with California. <laughs> right. Like This was an opportunity for us to maintain being the epicenter of innovation, of evolution of this industry, to continue being a leader on the policy front, on the social justice front. Mm-hmm. Yep. For this industry, and we've done exactly the opposite mm-hmm. uh, because of the leadership we have in the city and state. Yeah, I mean, kudos to uh, Jared Polis for one for kind of standing up now, and you know, I hope he makes a good push. Uh, Corey Gardner, I will give a shout out to him. He's been instrumental in a lot of the policies now that have pushed cannabis forward nationally. Um, 
but a huge disservice of Hickenlooper to basically drop the ball in this whole thing. Mm-hmm. It's almost sickening to to see you know a whole state behind it, and then him kind of just act like it's either a bad thing or be you know neutral to it. This is a guy who, let's not forget, made his fame and his fortune and became mayor and then governor because of yeah. his birth birthing <laughs> of the regulated microbrew industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he is the guy that brews and peddles the more dangerous drug, and he is right. very much threatened um, by cannabis becoming something that rivals uh, something that he, he is his claim to fame. Totally. Not with challenge anybody listening to think logically about some of the things we're talking about. You know, in in the media, it's always portrayed in an ass backwards way of oh, well, this and this, and that's why they don't vote in this way. And but it's all very true. When you start getting into politics, I guarantee you, one hundred percent, that Hickenlooper is pushed away because of that one fact right there. That it's going to drive alcohol sales down, yeah. and it's going to hurt his bottom line. Yeah, and 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 not just his bottom line, right? But his his supporters. When you yeah. think of this, is a guy that has aspirations for president. I mean, I don't, I don't bash people for their looks, but I can't imagine a guy that looks as like weak as him <laughs> and has acted as weak as him um, being president of this country. I mean, Donald Trump's one thing. Like, to, have, to have a string bean as our president, I just don't see it. Um, but he sees his donors drying up if he doesn't defend uh, their cemented interests Absolutely. in this more dangerous drug, and that's certainly a huge part of this equation. Absolutely. So are you finding that cannabis companies are supporting you, or what what can we do to help you? Yeah, you know, there are some that are, so to set where the environment is in Denver right now with these businesses that are very fearful of speaking out against this administration, they're fearful of retaliation. Mm -hmm. There are businesses that have spoken up against bad policy in the city, and all of a sudden, the next day they get a surprise inspection from the fire department. Um, that found some issue that hasn't been an issue in seven years. Yeah. Uh, that's not a coincidence. Sounds like the mafia. <laughs> it, that, that's very much how the city's it's being run, unfortunately. And there's a lot of retaliatory feelings about um, speaking up and out. And that applies to supporting someone like me, who is proud of his cannabis background and who does see us uh, as a city um, regulating this differently and more fairly as we do other businesses. So although I've seen some support, I haven't seen a whole lot of folks jump on board and they've expressly stated that it's because they're fearful of this administration retaliating against them, not renewing a license, shutting them down for some reason. And I think that's bullshit. And what we're gonna be doing here is uh, I'm bringing together a round table of all the players in Colorado uh, or in Denver to understand their concerns firsthand And I'm going to come out with a policy position that I fully intend on implementing on the back end that treats cannabis businesses fairly. Mm -hmm. And I hope that that is going to put some pressure on this administration to change tactic um, before the election and and take some pressure off these businesses that are working very hard, that are operating very professionally, that are paying their taxes, more taxes than most, uh, that are employing a lot of people. Um, They deserve all the same rights that any other business has. And I'm going to do whatever I can in this campaign to make sure that those businesses um, have at least a voice um, in this in this campaign. Um, similar to housing or environment or transportation, all these other things that the city is neglecting to talk about right now, um, cannabis is going to be lumped in with those as something we are going to have a conversation about. And I think once we do, people are going to understand what's right and what's wrong and how this administration is very wrong and how they've been treating this industry. 
how can people support me? I think one is getting people excited about local elections. I know it seems less sexy, but who your mayor is is far more important than whether Donald Trump is president or not. Absolutely. Every single day. And when you look at our voter turnout uh, the last three years, 2016 for the presidential election, we had 86% turnout uh, in, this, in this county, which is the highest in the country. And then you look at last mayoral election, we had 30% turnout. Well, and five to 10,000 more people makes a dramatic difference in the, in the outcome of this election. And I'm an unaffiliated. Under 40, the predominant voting block is unaffiliated. Like, those people are looking for someone to vote for, and I hope that they understand that I'm that person that will push um, progressive values, period. Um, not just in cannabis. Um, but we also need to raise money. I outraised the mayor in the first quarter. Um, I hope to do so in the second. But I still need, I need to raise two million bucks in this campaign. So I hope that people go to the website, caveonfordenver.com, that they do donate. I don't care if it's 10 bucks a month. Like, 10 bucks a month, 20 bucks a month as a recurring donation helps out dramatically when it's hundreds of people doing it. Um, and I wanted, similar to what Bernie did, he had an average contribution of $27. You know, our mayor is going to average between $500 and $1,000 per campaign contribution. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I anticipate being far, far lower than that. Um, and it matters, no matter how small the donation is, to get that in. And then the people power, um, mm -hmm. to go to the website and to sign up to volunteer in a way that fits people's lives. We have almost 300 registered volunteers already, a year before the election. We're going to start knocking doors next week. You know, ten and a half months before the election, that just does not happen. And we have a lot of momentum, so people jumping on board with getting involved physically, monetarily, and just talking about this and, and really breeding the importance of uh, local elections is what we need to get this done. I'd be the first cannabis business owner in the world uh, to be elected to a major office. That would be cool. huge. Yeah. yeah. That, that doesn't change the perception of the cannabis industry and provide right. us some viability. Um, I don't know what will. So I hope that not just people in Denver and Colorado, but outside of it that have a stake in the cannabis industry understand how important that would be. Yeah. yeah. Totally. We went to your rally about a month or so ago, I'm guessing now. Um, and you could just feel the excitement of people because they felt like for once they had a voice. And I think that's what's huge to me. You know, you're sitting there talking to people. Um, and that's what, just what I gathered from that entire party is people felt like they were a part of something. And they were excited. And I had never seen that much excitement for a candidate in years, honestly. And so that's what's cool, and I want people to understand is that, you know, with Kayvon, you're going to have a voice. He's going to listen to your concerns, and he's going to do every damn thing he can do to try to make it right um, and not do what Hickenlooper and, you know, Hancock have done and just sit back and, you know, you know peddle their own best interest, I guess. Yeah. Um, and that's huge nowadays. That's why you vote, because you want a voice. Um, and so that's what you need to go back that way. And, um, you know, I really want to encourage people, too, to stand up and speak out, you know, geez, you know, look how far you've come in a few years, you know, 10, 12, 15 years, and now you're here. Um, anybody out there can do the same thing, too. I mean, consider, you know, 10 years ago, I was homeless for nine months. Yeah. You know, like, uh, the, this country still has a lot of opportunity in it, a lot of possibility, but it takes fight. It takes fight, yeah. It takes Before. people being willing to accept something that wasn't in your plans, that wasn't in your goals. I never, I never, I mean, I'd, I'll do a business plan for the sake of, like, getting investment, but those business plans are bullshit. Totally like, sure, those yeah. never come to fruition. <laughs> like, thinking out five years in a world that moves as fast as it does today and trying to cling on to those expectations is a lesson in futility. It just, it's not going to happen. Yep. You have to be prepared to be malleable, um, to, to, to be far lower than your expectations, to exceed them sometimes and know how to react um, to that success. 
um, that's important. Think, think about tomorrow. Uh, if I have one, one piece of advice for entrepreneurs or activists or advocates, it's think about what you're doing tomorrow, not think about what you want to be five years from now. So I think you'll be pleasantly surprised when you just start doing what feels right um, in a way that works best with the people around you, the environment that you're working in, the circumstances that you're working with. You'd be surprised what doors open that you never anticipated that'll leave, lead you in an entirely different direction. And I think that's the best bit of advice that I could give for folks that are looking to start anything, um, is have no expectations, have a good heart, and surround yourself with people that are way more intelligent and passionate than you are on these topics, and you will find success. Uh, check the ego at the door and collaborate, collaborate, collaborate. That's how you get things done. That's the future economy. Uh, if we want to take it back, we're in cooperatives are in community-based uh, models and wealth building for communities. That's how we're going to change the system. It's not fixing the one that we're in. It's creating a parallel one yep. um, that all of a sudden creates a contrast that has to be reckoned with. And uh, we'll, we'll deal with that fight when we get there. But first we have to deal with the, the construction of this new world, um, which can be done and is being done in parts of the country. There are examples of cooperative models working amazingly well. And we need to continue building off that. And, and, and I would love to do that being mayor is create an office of cooperative development that encourages us in community. I don't want community to be a burden on government. I don't want them to be reliant on government. I want people to take care of themselves. And I think we can empower people to do that. Yeah. That's awesome. Cool. That's it. All right. Well, thank you for sharing all of your knowledge with us. Um, Lit and Lucid Podcast is definitely a proud supporter of Kay Vaughn. Uh, so we'll put some information on our website where you can find him and donate and volunteer and things like that. So if you are, you know, uh, a young voter here in Denver, reach out to Kay Vaughn. See how you can help us with this. Uh, this progress moving forward for next year. We have a big election in 2019, so just stay educated and informed and share your knowledge with others um, and hope for success for next year, for sure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for Thanks sure. All right, with that, I'm Lit. And I'm Lucid. All right, and this is episode 13 with Kayvon. Thank you. Laters.